Hey, welcome to a business talk with Eric Chow. Today we have a uh, Francis Yoke in studio. He's a rising star attorney. It's great to have you, Eric. It is great to be here. Good to see you again, uh, and thank you so much for inviting me to uh, your lovely office and uh, to participate in um, in today's program. It's a uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Amazing, you know. Before we get started, uh, Francis, I have to admit that you are probably one of the friendliest. Attorneys I've ever met. Uh, thank you. Um, I, 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 I recall actually meeting you for the first time. Um, I think it was at the Apollo NJ event, uh, right. networking event in Jersey City. Apollo is a, a uh, Asian Pacific American Lawyers Association of New Jersey, and I remember I was walking down to the registration desk before I could even get there, and you were like. Basically, Eric, I mean, uh, welcome, welcome to our to, to our event. So, um, you know, and I was there with my family, my wife, and my and my and my kid. And you have just uh, shown such a, uh, I guess, a friendly uh, friendliness about you. And uh, I think that day you were dishing, uh, that night you were dishing out more restaurant top spot recommendations than legal advice, <laughs> which my wife appreciates. Sometimes that's more important. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so um, I think you have a kind of an interesting background, right, Francis? Because, uh, you know, being raised in a, uh, an entrepreneurial uh, household where, you know, parents are both entrepreneurs. That's right. And at the same time, you are a, uh, a competitive arm wrestler competing in tournaments in in the northeast of US um, in the what what super heavyweight that's right yeah <laughs> super heavyweight uh, still an amateur uh -huh. but uh, you know it's I, I feel like no matter what you do whatever mm -hmm. your day job is you have to have something that mm -hmm. is not like your job okay uh, an outlet um, uh, a passion a hobby it can be anything um, and for me, one of them is this really awesome sport I discovered uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh -huh. um, I had no idea it was organized and competitive, but uh -huh. it is. Uh, I'm associated with two teams here in New Jersey, uh, the High Five as well as Beast Mode. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a way to, you know, um, get a little exercise in. And uh, as I said, just the, my teammates are awesome and it's good to be a part of that community. But it can be a softball team. It could be a... Uh, you know, a golf group, it could be a book club. I, I don't care what it is, but um, I strongly encourage people, especially full-time working professionals, you know, have something and, mm. and make time for it. It's important. Got it. Got it. Well, I, I have a feeling this podcast, this show is going to go in all sorts of directions because <laughs> of your diversity of hobbies and, and, and interests. So, but first, let's let's dive right into the uh, you know some of your background. You know, uh, talk with us about um, you know how your experience really being raised in a, an entrepreneurial household, right? How that really shaped because you know a lot of our audience here are business owners, right? They are going through the 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 day in and day out of running running a business. Sometimes even with the families, right? In, in fact, one of our past guests, uh, Gladys, with uh, Gladys Cleaning Services. You know, she gave us a lot of great tips about how to operate a business, you know, with the fam with other family members that are taking on important positions. So um, maybe speak with us about that um, and how 
maybe we can learn something about how to raise a child if we're a business owner. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I'm proud to say that uh, both my parents are uh, entrepreneurial. I think they consider themselves involved in business. Yeah. Um, on you know, my mom as well as my aunt. Uh, they're in the hospitality industry, and um, they they manage a hotel in Bergen County. Mm-hmm. And I actually worked there part time uh, after college, also. So wow, that's a humbling experience, right? It, it was. I mean, it's you know, it it was definitely a crash course in uh, customer service. Um, I I think, uh, um, you know, our uh, guests. Look, you're, you're traveling from long distances. Uh, you could be there for business. You could be there for for pleasure. But you know, we're all different, and I think everyone, you know, is different by the time they reach that point and just want to check into their hotel room and hopefully w- without issue. But of course, sometimes issues come up, and you have to you have to address them. But um, you know, I think growing up in that type of household where uh, you have people who are business minded, mm-hmm. um, I think it it uh, through osmosis, I think it has to influence you to some degree, whether that's a conversation at the dinner table about something that happened uh, at, at the you know at the business, or um, whether it's you know my folks are also you know in real estate and construction a little bit mm. um but uh, it may relate to you know a problem with a building a problem with a property a, some contractors uh, something with contractors or subcontractors or vendors it could be a problem with a tenant it mm. could be an issue with um you know uh, something related to the town whether it's a department or whether it's a permit you need um so I think uh, one thing I've learned from, and my, my dad, by the way, he's uh, he really is in construction, but also he has um, a grocery store. Mm. He he, it's a multi generational uh, grocery store that's that's in Bergen County again, and um, it's just, you know, I guess uh, you learn a little bit about when you're the employer mm-hmm. as opposed to the employee. It's um, you get a sense of maybe what the day-to-day challenges are mm-hmm. posed um, from the uh, employer's perspective, mm-hmm. but um, you know, a- again, those those little conversations, just whether it's at dinner or just in passing or just the, the car ride, you you get a little bit of flavor of you know what some of the problems are, but also maybe like how entrepreneurs think. Or how they solve the problems. How they solve problems. Identifying how the they problem see the problems. That's very important too. Your perspective of it. Certainly, um, what you discern and how it's interpreted. Mm-hmm. But one of the takeaways is, you know, even though my folks are obviously, you know, older than I am, mm-hmm. they're they don't stop being creative. Mm-hmm. They uh, try and always keep an open mind. Uh, they don't take anything off the table. I mm-hmm. think um, they, they like to think about the different possibilities, the options, the, mm-hmm. the permutations. Um, as one example, the hotel during the pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, there were two restaurants associated with uh, the hotel at the lobby level. Mm-hmm. Um, one is like Continental Italian and the other was Japanese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved that Japanese restaurant. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, you know, business slowed down mm-hmm. and uh, that portion of the business also had to sort of be wound down. OK, um, which is unfortunate. But uh, that also presents an opportunity now. So that's the sil- silver lining where, you know, it, it's about a positive uh, attitude and outlook. What can we do with this space if mm-hmm. it's not going to be what it was? What can we do? What can we put in there um, that'll be 
uh, you know, well received by by the by our guests mm-hmm. that will you know be kept busy and that will offer something. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are different ideas that are being bounced around, but um, that's an example of you know you have to get a little creative uh, and maybe um, you know consider what works best uh, what or what would work better. Uh, so what what ended up happening to that Japanese restaurant? So it's actually still a work in progress, uh-huh. but uh, I think, and I don't think this is inside baseball, but um, one of the notions that has been floated out there is uh, possibly turning it into a pizzeria okay. and getting uh, maybe a pizza oven installed in there for, you know, personal pies, flatbreads and, and other things. Mm. Um, certainly de- delivering an awesome product. Who doesn't love pizza? But also, you know, there's the cost consideration. Um, pizza not quite as costly as you know uh sushi or sashimi right sure. so so maybe maybe good margins yeah probably probably better shelf life too for the <laughs> that, <yeah. laughs> and, and good for the business too it, it kind of one hand washes the other it's sure. easy to kind of walk into a mini pizzeria at a later hour yeah yeah order something to go quick and just uh-huh. take it up to your room or enjoy it in the lobby or something like that but yeah i think um you know uh Certainly the work ethic uh, parents um, certainly uh, have worked very, very hard for a long time. Um, They get up very early. Sometimes they stay late. And, um, you know, seeing that and growing up around that, Mm -hmm. it's um, just uh, something that's hard to forget or Mm -hmm. ignore. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, as a kid, maybe I didn't fully understand it, but as I got older, um, and as I myself, you know, went to school and um, started to embark on this professional career, uh, you start to, I think, appreciate and understand why, mm-hmm. why they wake up early, why they get get home later, why they, you know, skip meals sometimes mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just just get it done. And part of that, again, is that responsibility mm-hmm. as the owner, mm-hmm. as the manager, as, you know, someone who's kind of um, the, the tip of the spear, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's that responsibility. You have staff and employees depending on you mm-hmm. to um, oversee everything. Yeah. And, and the buck stops with the, the person who's kind of, you know, um, at, at the pinnacle, if you will. Um, but then there's also, you know, uh, gratification, I think, in working really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, waking up at 5 or 6 a.m. Uh, on a regular basis can be tough, mm-hmm. but when you start start your day and get going and uh, have accomplished a lot and even before it's lunchtime you know you've gotten so much done mm-hmm. that's a great feeling mm-hmm. you know and that that's a that feeling outweighs whatever temporary discomfort you might feel you know when you're you know first arising and it's like pitch black t- dark outside still mm-hmm. um yeah you know this is something that I, I also think about a lot too you know talking about being an entrepreneur a business owner someone who is really uh, who's really accountable to themselves, right? At the same time, accountable to other people that work for them. Because at the end of the day, you know, whoever in your company, they don't really work for you. You work for them. Because if they are not doing things that that makes them feel fulfilled or not happy being a certain place, ultimately it's the responsibility of the business owner. Absolutely. I truly feel that. And I think uh, taking that accountability, right, and and shifting that really onto yourself, it really gives you a sense of power and control because whatever happens, good or bad, is all on me, right? It's, yeah. not, it's not because 
my boss didn't like me, right? It's not because my coworkers was bad mouthing me, right? It's me. I'm responsible. Right. And and maybe, you know, we, we have to take ownership kind of as a as a word or term in the broadest sense there. Mm-hmm. Being the owner, it doesn't mean you just have rights or, you know, access or privilege. Um, ownership can also mean, as you say, responsibility, yeah. a- accountability. Um, Stewardship. Yeah. Th- because definitely. you are responsible for others. And that's what leadership is, too, yeah. also. I, I know we're kind of th- throwing related words out there, but but I think that that is what's required of, of being a leader. And, you know, Eric, you, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, your comment earlier about me being a friendly person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we did meet for the first time, that you was... You probably learned that from the hotel front desk. <laughs> it, so for those who, who need to improve their people skill, get a job at their hotel front desk. Right. Or And you know what? Getting a job, and even before I worked at the front desk uh, after college, even during college, I had a part-time job working at Dunkin Donuts mm-hmm. uh, making coffee and you know making breakfast sandwiches for people yeah and uh, that you know was also a, a great opportunity because it, it allowed me to have FaceTime mm-hmm. with just all sorts of different people mm-hmm. in volume yeah uh, on a daily basis now I know they're just getting their coffee and their breakfast yeah. but there are interactions there and I think there are lessons there yeah um, and you learn things about other people you also learn things um about yourself too but um i think having a certain demeanor or disposition whether you call it friendly welcoming Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. uh whether it's warmth or whatever i think that's important for for any professional Mm -hmm. i think even for lawyers certainly because we're in a very small bar it's a small industry and not i mean like you are you because you from the legal world right you you know what's happening there but for people that are like kind of outside right non-legal professionals and i don't know if other people feel the same way but i kind of feel many attorneys are intimidating (laughs) that's my perception or maybe even experience with a lot of the you know attorneys that we that we dealt with because they seem to be very short because they are kind of on billable hours right (laughs) Right? um they don't necessarily um maybe explain things as in detail because it's not really part of their job their their job is to help you solve this legal problem um but i think the kind of uh friendliness you talk about is really understanding where the other person is coming from right and treat them treat them where they're at right meet them where they're at you know, I think that's super important, um, you know, especially, you know, when I look at the nonprofit organization, right, most of them are attorneys, most of the members are attorneys, and I'm probably one of the odd business owner members of that organization, which I'm a very proud member of, um, and I love supporting because I see the passion that the group of people from Apollo NJ, uh, how they really want to, you know, really want to bring up the, the AAPI community, especially among uh, uh, the the fellow attorneys. Yeah, and and I think, you know, in speaking for myself, yeah. Uh it because I work at a firm uh and because I'm also uh, involved in Apollo NJ, because I also see myself as, you know, somewhat of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Um I think uh sometimes you just have to put on different hats yeah and when you have your apollo nj hat on it's a not-for-profit it's about advancement of uh, you know asian americans and aapi 
attorneys, law students, legal professionals, uh, advocacy type right. base work. Yeah. And, and um, you know, we're, we're not for profit, but we really um, are defined by our membership mm-hmm. and we're driven by our membership. Uh, our membership is who, you know, that's the group that we serve. Yeah. They also, th- that is also the group that, you know, supports us, that uh, attends our events. Um, and you know, today's member could be tomorrow's next board member. So I think it's very important to mm-hmm. socialize, awesome. to maintain those connections, to network, to be friendly, because awesome. you're trying yeah. to reflect well, not only on yourself and you know your firm and your company, um, but also this organization as well. Yeah. W- especially if you're on the board. Right. And um, you know, if you if you're a newcomer and it's your first time going to an Apollo NJ event. What are the chances that you'll, you know, sign up as a member mm-hmm. and keep coming to our events mm-hmm. if there's no outreach? And, yeah. and I know it can be hard. It takes practice. It frankly sometimes doesn't get any easier. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for people to figure out a way mm-hmm. to make a connection with someone else. Yeah. And, and you know, just to give you you guys credit, I mean, the, the event was so welcoming that because I brought my family with me and my wife decided to join as a member as well. So both of us are <laughs> support that, that's, that's great and i mean <laughs> we are in <laughs> so you know francis before we before this show turns into a business real business talk show right i want to focus on the things that you are an expert in which is in the field of law is that okay with you uh, yeah let's let's get to it absolutely <laughs> let's get to it i think the audience has been waiting 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 <laughs> yeah well i i hope i can deliver uh, something useful something helpful well, um, you know, I think as a, as a business owner, right, one of the really the key um, aspect is to be compliant with the law, right? And finding a competent, competent lawyer who understands and who can, who understand your needs and someone you can really trust, right, um, to help you navigate around various legal issues, I think is super important. Now, with that said, um, Maybe we can start with, um, you know, your way of uh, your process, really, of identifying um, the right attorney for somebody, you know, just based on the experience you have worked with other uh, other other clients. Right. Um, you know, what are the key elements or key factors someone should be looking at uh, as they are searching for the right legal help? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, and, you know, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is competency and expertise. Mm-hmm. The lawyer that is a right fit for your need, whether that's a case you're dealing with, uh, whether it's litigation, whether it's a transactional need, or whether it's just a legal consultation uh, for something that, you know, hasn't ripened into a lawsuit yet, um, you definitely want to find someone who is knowledgeable and is credentialed in the particular area we're talking about. So, you know, Eric, you may know me and you may think like, I would love to send, you know, Francis some work. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a friend who has, you know, who needs a a prenuptial agreement Mm -hmm. kind of drafted and reviewed. I know what I'll do. I'll send that to Francis because I want to help him out. Uh Uh, And I may say, look, you do prenuptial too? No, I don't. Oh, which is why I would have to. Which is why I would have to turn that down. Uh huh. And say, but you would know who to who to contact. And that's exactly it, Eric. Yeah. So I think a, a good first step is you know if you know of an attorney who has that reputation and who, whom someone you trust refers you to, 
um, and you can confirm based on you know maybe some initial independent research that the person is in fact credentialed, whether that's because they've received certain recognitions or mm -hmm. whether that's because they've spoken on certain panels mm -hmm. um, or pro CLE programs where they um, uh, are you know in some ways an authority in mm -hmm. the area we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Strongly consider going to that person. Mm -hmm. um, uh, on the other hand, I think it is problematic to Google something mm -hmm. like family lawyer yes and then go off of the first result you see and say boom that's my lawyer mm -hmm. i don't think that's that's enough and uh sometime and, and i understand why people would do that you mm -hmm. know it's intuitive it's like well this person's on google they seem to have what like a good rating through this website or that standard um and they wouldn't be good if they weren't showing up as you know one of the first results on google right i'll just mm -hmm. kind of go with them um what I would also suggest to people is, you know, if you're kind of figuring out who to retain as counsel, mm -hmm. oftentimes preliminary consults are, you know, free of charge. Mm -hmm. uh, and you may, you know, they may be somewhat limited in time and, and scope and, and breadth and depth, mm -hmm. but nothing is stopping you from, you know, getting basically a second opinion or maybe even a third opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to shop around. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're the prospective client, you're in the driver's seat, the client is the one who needs to feel comfortable mm -hmm. with counsel, mm -hmm. both as to ability and I think rapport mm -hmm. and personality. And, and certainly there's, you know, there's the fee arrangement side of things too. Uh, if you're in private practice, you know, it's certainly a, a business. Mm -hmm. um, there is pressure, I think, not only to do an excellent job for all your clients, but you know, there are, uh, there's a certain kind of financial pressure too. Um, associates, staff, rent, mm -hmm. other costs, overhead, you know, that can all start to add up. Sure. So if you're not, um, you know, doing work, generating work, billing work mm -hmm. at, a, at a certain level, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you're losing out on profitability and, and that can that can be bad for, for various reasons. Yeah. So, you know, Francis, uh, one of the um, my, our producer here suggested to, to make actually was to, um, you know, questions that we could come up with when we interview to hire a, a CPA. So we did a, a small clip. Uh, you got, you know, the audience can, sh can check it out on other social platforms. Um, I would be actually interested in, in, in doing a, a clip, a short clip as well like that, you know, on how to interview, you know, maybe three to five questions to ask the attorneys as you interview them. So maybe can, maybe you can, if there's such thing, right? You know, three to five questions that I think people should be asking as they interview the the for their attorney. Any advice on that? Well, you know, I, I don't know that I would view a preliminary counsel with mm. with a prospective counsel mm. as necessarily mm. an in interview. Mm. It could just be an informal meeting. Okay. But I, you know, I think when when you when the client starts to talk about their matter or their need mm -hmm. i think that attorney's response uh should speak volumes to mm -hmm. um to that potential client if mm -hmm. if the attorney really can issue spot well mm -hmm. and then even come up with a with a proposed solution mm. that just seems to make a whole lot of sense mm. and is just you know salient and and hopefully brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's that's a home run right there. Okay. Um, if if and assuming the you know the client is sort of 
I, I think the client sort of needs to be impressed mm-hmm. uh, at that initial meeting by, and I think that really goes to the attorney's competency and ability and, and frankly, past experience. But that, that could be another question right there, which is, you know, I have this case, I yeah. have this transactional need. Got it. Have you have you worked on this kind of stuff before? That's awesome. You know, your, yeah. your website says this. Oh, okay. Like, can you tell me, you know, without going into privilege or confidential, can Got you it. tell me a little bit about That's like the prior, what tr- deal that you closed that, cause it's a lot like the deal, you know, that I'm trying to close on now. That's a, that's a great point. You just made Francis cause that, uh, by identifying, well, by sharing, um, the problem that you have, the legal issue that you have, right. With the attorney, right and listen to their response to that, right? I think there could be, right there, probably could be another, just just that answer alone probably could take like 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. And you can really learn a lot, I think, from their responses based on what you already talked about earlier. Yeah, and it's just not, yeah. not just the, the substance of the response, but mm-hmm. how the response is formulated. Yeah. And it kind of shows how the attorney thinks. Yes. And I think, you know, that, that's the really interesting thing about the practice because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I work at a firm. I, I work for, you know, different partners. Uh, I'm at a mid-sized firm called Walsh Pitsy O'Reilly Falanga. Uh, where our main office is in Newark. Mm-hmm. We're about 30, you know, lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I work with, I've had the privilege and pleasure of working with different partners at the office. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that every partner is brilliant mm-hmm. and um, just really just awesome at what they do but they're also different from one another mm. in their style, mm. in their thought process, mm. in, um, you know, just sort of how they think and mm-hmm. sort of tendencies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as as a, an associate at the firm, and I've been out for a number of years, I graduated law school 2014, I've, you know, moved around within private practice, I've had a few clerkships, mm-hmm. um, but as someone who uh, is interested in just continuous growth, development, just getting better at what I do, honing my craft. I can tell you that I appreciate working for different partners that have uh, different methods, different skills, uh, and different training because I feel like I'm just learning more from that and becoming just a more well-rounded practitioner. Mm. Um, But uh, just going back to choice of counsel, Eric, you know, hopefully, uh, for for those out there listening, hopefully you have a go to lawyer already, where mm-hmm. you don't really need to go out there and shop. Because if that lawyer can service all your needs, great. You know, don't ruin a bad thing. Um, and certainly, you know, it's it's always helpful to know a lawyer who, mm-hmm. if they don't know, mm-hmm. they know someone who does. Absolutely. And just to tie it all back in together, that's mm-hmm. why Apollo NJ is so great. Mm-hmm. But even if it's not Apollo NJ, it could be your county bar association. It could be, you know, a federal bar association. It could be something else. It could mm-hmm. be a, an association for accountants that mm-hmm. has people with JDs and, and who are also CPAs. Right. You know, with the dual background. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it, these these uh, affinity groups, these bar associations, these other clubs, it's great because it gets you plugged in to people mm-hmm. and uh, it just fosters interconnectivity um, mm-hmm. within the industry or, or within your network. And that it's just good because it plugs you in so mm-hmm. that you get to know more people potentially you could reach out to for a new or unique need. But hopefully you meet someone who mm-hmm. is basically like, someone who can refer things to people. If you trust that one person mm-hmm. and they know people mm-hmm. and they make a referral, mm-hmm. that should m- make the 
client or the business owner confident mm -hmm. in, in that referral because right. you trust the first person yeah. and their judgment <laughs> and their discretion and their opinion. Yeah. You know, uh, I was told by a, a business mentor one time, he said, he said um, you know, in, in life, there are only three things you need to know, right? You need to know what you know. Number two, know who knows what you don't know. Ooh. And three, that's all you need to know. Yeah, there it is. And it's that second one. <laughs> that second one's very true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just want to step back and, and make a broader uh, point, Eric. You know, lawyers... It's not like we do what's in front of us only, mm -hmm. and, and it's limited to that. It's not about one filing. It's not about one case. It's not about one transaction. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just about the billable, serviceable work. Mm -hmm. It is also about being, I think, a fiduciary mm -hmm. to the client. Mm -hmm. It's about being an agent mm -hmm. to the client. I'm not just a litigator. I'm also a counselor, and that includes advice that's broader than just strict legal advice with respect to one case or one deal. Mm -hmm. It could mean um, just being being a guide and saying, hey, have you thought about this? It could be, a, you know, counseling on um, something that could relate to business or just relate to, uh, you know, decision making with respect to the client's uh, enterprise or, or business mm -hmm. that has nothing to do with a docket number or a case or filing, mm -hmm. but st still could fall within the scope of the representation. Right. And certainly within the scope of the relationship. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's better for an attorney who should be functioning as a counselor as well mm -hmm. to say something and, um, you know, assuming that it can be backed up and that um, it's it, it comes from something that um, can be corroborated and, and that the person is competent to talk about it. But mm -hmm. um, I think it's just better to mention something that helps the client, mm -hmm. even if it's not strictly legal, right. than to not mention it. Yes. Um, just because it's, you know, not exclusively tied to um, a piece of a piece of work. Yeah. Great point, man. Uh, well, Francis, we are, we're going to move on to uh, something that is, um, I think it probably happens more often than we like to recognize is uh, which is the uh, disputes in business and, and the commercial setting, right? And I know in your firm, uh, your practice, you you guys have dealt with a lot of uh, matters with commercial or business disputes, right? So based on your experience, uh, maybe can you talk a little bit about some of the pros and cons of different um, corporate entity structures, right? And also, more importantly, how, how can business owners, okay, uh, especially those with partners in the business, okay, to structure their companies properly so they could potentially avoid some of these uh, disputes or, or conflicts that will arise in the future? Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely a great question um, and, and just a great kind of topic uh, mm -hmm. overall. I, I think the, the first thing to mention is, you know, I do pri primarily litigation, mm -hmm. and that does mean disputes. That yes. does mean, you know, someone most likely has filed a lawsuit, the lawsuit's pending, and it has, you know, named uh, people higher up in the company or mm -hmm. maybe the company itself mm -hmm. as, uh, you know, as parties to the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. um, but separate and apart from the litigation, you know, my firm also has a very active transactional practice mm -hmm. um, that can include, you know, real estate deals, it can include, you know, trademark and copyright work, mm -hmm. but uh, I think it, it also includes um, 
you know, corporate formation mm -hmm. and advising and counseling on what type of corporate entity might meet the need of the client. Yeah. So the client meaning the business and the partners. Yeah. Oh, well, and then I think we have to be careful there because, yeah. um, you know, you would think so. But then if uh, you know, that's a whole separate topic on, you know, joint representation. Like yeah. You have to be careful. Wouldn't about, the partner, partners have their own counsel? It, that's probably advisable. That is advisable. And, um, Got it. You know, mm. I, I think we're getting into territory of like, well, do you need, you know, you have to consult the RPCs, the rules uh -huh. of professional conduct. Okay. Um, you have to ensure there's no conflict of interest. And if there is a potential conflict, you know, sometimes a signed waiver or mm -hmm. signed consent form mm -hmm. can can address it. Mm -hmm. But if the relationship is, you know, sort of concurrent and mm -hmm. you feel like you're servicing the interests of various people mm -hmm. whose needs and positions might become divergent, that could be a problem. You know, I don't know if I'm thinking this correctly. Um, so let's say you have a, a company, right? A company. And then you have, let's just say two partners, right? Right. Are you saying they should consider having three different attorneys, one representing the business, one representing the partner, one and partner two? Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, that seems like a yeah, <laughs> kind of redundant. M but might I don't be know. overkill. Right. Might, might be, be too much. Yeah. I, I think in that. Okay. So I think in that situation, Eric, uh -huh. one attorney uh -huh. advising two partners. Mm -hmm as well as acting on behalf of the corporate entity, mm -hmm. uh, I think that is a potential breeding ground for problems down the line. Okay. And I am speaking from experience having handled the case yes. where an attorney actually did this. Okay. Um, this was a close corporation. Because, you know, uh, you know, Francis, you're the professional in the legal field. We are not, right? I mean, common sense tells me just hire one lawyer, you know? help, you know, probably have a minimal, more, more of a reasonable cost, right? And you don't have to deal with different people. And that's time, right? Every time you talk to an attorney about your problem, that's, that's time uh, out of your schedule. So, so I'm glad you're bringing that up, um, that having a one attorney representation for all three, I guess, three parties would potentially be a um, problem. Yeah, and you know, even if the if the two partners were on yeah. board with that, yeah, I, you know, I think the attorney should just really advise everyone uh -huh. of kind of what we're looking at, yeah, and potentially even like recuse and yeah. say, you know, I, I'll take on the work, but I'm only going to represent this one partner. So sure. if, if I represent the both of you, yeah, and then there's a fight later down the line, yeah, you know. That, that that creates a tricky situation where there's maybe a question of divided loyalty. You know, what if this attorney needs to uh, testify at a deposition or the yeah. trial uh -huh. um, on on the matter? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I understand the the feeling of like, well, you know, why would I hire more than one attorney? Or you know, why should two partners, part of the same partnership or business or enterprise, mm -hmm. each hire separate counsel? That seems like it's too much. It seems like we're you know spending too much money, wasting money. Oh, those lawyers—they're all just you know in it for a buck, and mm -hmm. you know we're gonna we're gonna avoid costs like wherever possible because mm -hmm. you know we're a business, we're just starting out, mm -hmm. um, and you know kind of our budget is what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I understand that, but sometimes you just have to. Uh, you know, make the difficult decision sometimes mm -hmm. of saying, you know what, we're going to 
just do it this way and mm -hmm. have each partner have separate counsel mm -hmm. because it'll avoid problems down the line. Sure. And those problems down the line, it's going to be more expensive <laughs> um, if you only hire the one lawyer yeah. and then there are problems um, you know, and litigation ensues. People might be kicking themselves and saying, oh, we should have just, you know, we should have just each hired our own lawyer so that there wasn't a conflict, there wasn't this issue, there wasn't this problem. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes uh, having more than one lawyer, it's awesome because, uh, you know, it, it can add value. Mm -hmm. um, you, you can, um, in the iterative sort of ventilation process, sometimes mm -hmm. good ideas come out mm -hmm. in, when lawyers talk. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes good solutions come out when lawyers talk. And, you know, I think sometimes you, you cover and address more of the blind spots mm -hmm. and more of the potential problems yeah. um, that way. Uh, so the, the only other thing I'll say is, and I think this is a quote from like a Civil War general or something, but, you know, a uh, what a a pint of sweat mm -hmm. saves a gallon of blood. Mm. And I think that can sort of apply when you're thinking about even the question of like, do I even need a lawyer to um, incorporate my business mm -hmm. as sort of like, let's say, a sole proprietorship mm -hmm. or like as an LLC? You know, you don't have to have a lawyer mm -hmm. to, to do those things. Mm -hmm. And maybe you really don't need one, but it could be better to consult with a professional who has the experience in helping establish these things mm -hmm. because it can go beyond the, the scope of just filing and registering and forming the corporation mm -hmm. um, or the corporate entity, it could also go to, you know, advising generally. Okay, this is what you want. Mm -hmm. This is the business structure um, or the corporate structure. Ha what does that mean for you? Mm -hmm. What are the tax implications? What does that mean about, you know, your exposure, your personal exposure as a uh, officer of the corporation? Mm -hmm. Do you have limited liability? Do you mm -hmm. have some type of immunity? Um, and, and there's more than just picking the type of corporation that might work for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I encourage people to just do their own research. And frankly, I do encourage you to consult with an attorney, especially mm -hmm. if you need, if you have a more complicated or sophisticated or a larger scale business mm -hmm. that might call for, you know, um, something that is proportional to that by mm -hmm. way of corporate structure. Mm -hmm. Certainly it behooves you to uh, to seek counsel, but it's more than just the corporate formation. There are also things like operating agreements between partners. Mm -hmm. There are shareholder agreements between shareholders. Those things need to be buttoned up mm -hmm. um, because I've seen fights where, you know, people use uh, just a template or a form they find online. Yes, sometimes even an attorney will review it and mark it up and tailor it to um, the, the relationship or mm -hmm. the needs of the partners. Mm -hmm. But if that person doesn't do a thorough job mm -hmm. or, you know, if you only have one attorney kind of uh, helping everyone, the mm -hmm. partners and the entity, um, you know, those, those lapses in the contract drafting mm -hmm. um, uh, phase of the work, they can come back and bite you and cause some problems in litigation because mm -hmm. contract language, it's something that gets litigated all the time. Mm -hmm. Whether we're talking about, you know, these types of agreements or instruments, mm -hmm. whether we're talking about a policy of insurance, um, whether we're talking about, you know, an offer letter that, mm -hmm. you know, might give rise to some type of employment lawsuit, right? Mm -hmm. um, based on reliance or, mm -hmm. you know, these other sort of contract based theories. Mm -hmm. So it, 
I hate to sound like an insurance salesman, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, sometimes I, I really think uh, businesses and business owners should really think long and hard about, do I pay a good, trusted, competent attorney now mm-hmm. or attorneys mm-hmm. now to take care of everything mm-hmm. so I don't have to worry about it? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to maybe cut the corner a little bit, mm-hmm. save some money, and then fingers crossed, you know, no problems arise down the line. It may be a matter of risk tolerance yes. to the uh, to the client. Yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Now we're gonna we're gonna go a little little bit even deeper in the in in the topic. Okay, so we've done the preparation right on you know with the corporate entity structure. You know, talk to the attorney, and you working you know in the litigation fit you know uh, space. Disputes do happen, right? and lawsuits happened, right? Well, what if it does happen? You know, so I kind of, you know, this is your specialties with your firm and I wanted to kind of, you touch on, you know, what are the, you should just give us a brief description, right? Of the, of the, le- of the legal lawsuit proceeding, right? And the importance of understanding the various timelines of responding to, you know, to each step. I think that would be helpful for, for a general audience here. Yeah, so, um, you know, litigation, it uh, it is, I think, in this country, in this in this society, and given the, you know, um, the legal system we have and all the legislation that's been promulgated and, you know, given uh, just the system, just due mm-hmm. process and the access to courts, all that stuff, um, litigation can be, you know, um, provide... I think challenges mm. to business people. Mm. And, you know, no one wants these lawsuits, right? Who wants to deal with a lawsuit? Mm. But um, it is, you know, at some point it can be the cost of doing business, mm. where your business is so successful mm. and so big and mm. growing mm. and impacting so many other competitors, vendors, people in the supply chain, customers. Mm. Um, where lit- if you're if you're not if you don't have lawsuits to deal with, maybe you're doing something wrong. Mm. Um, <laughs> so we should all budget. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> as we scale, the have, business. A, have a rainy day fund. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, and and oftentimes and, operating expense. Yeah, <laughs> and insurance can cover some stuff, right? Yeah, yes. Like if you have, if you're running a trucking company, you're going to have, you know, like commercial trucking liability insurance. Yeah. If like you, we do, uh, we have general liability insurance. General yeah. liability insurance. Yeah. You know, someone slips and falls in the, uh, you know, waiting room of a dental office. Mm-hmm. You know, there there should be coverage that was procured for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so while it's great if litigation can be avoided, if you can just live your life without ever being named in a lawsuit, that's a pretty charmed life. Mm-hmm. Just given the structure that we're in in this country and, and just uh, the prevalence of um, just courthouses, laws, and just being in a litigious society generally, it can be inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when you do everything right, even if you did everything that uh, we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you know, Francis, I did what you said, right? My, my partner got a lawyer. I got my own lawyer, mm-hmm. right? We didn't mm-hmm. just go with one. You know, we were very thorough with like the paperwork, like the documents. Got the operating were, agreement all yeah. intact. All <laughs> ironclad, right? But it, it, you said, you said we should do this, right, Francis? So, uh, and then like, so Francis, why am I getting sued? Yeah. I just got something in the mail uh-huh. saying, you know, I'm named in this lawsuit, so is the companies, and like my partner's suing me or, or whatever. Yeah. So even when you do everything right, yeah. sometimes litigation is inevitable. Now, mm-hmm. now the good news is, 
if you did everything right, yeah. you should have very good defenses. Mm-hmm. Maybe the claims are weak mm-hmm. or non-meritorious. Maybe they're even frivolous. Mm-hmm. And if, if people do need to be careful about filing, you know, weak or frivolous lawsuits, mm-hmm. because there are penalties and sanctions for that, mm-hmm. um, certainly in New Jersey and, and I'm sure elsewhere. Um, but uh, I think what, what folks should know is litigation is expensive uh, and um, it can be also very time consuming and you're going to have to be patient because the timeline for a lot of complex litigation can be drawn out. Mm-hmm. It can take three, five, eight, ten or more years mm-hmm. for um, a lawsuit to resolve or reach conclusion. Mm-hmm. The good news is that the vast majority of civil lawsuits continue to be um, amenable to mm-hmm. settlement or resolution. Mm-hmm. You know, s- some like the overwhelming majority of cases end up settling. Mm-hmm. Th- that's the good news. Okay. Now to get there, do you know what percentage of law- lawsuits actually end up I, in settlement? I want to say I'm I'm eyeballing it here, but it's got to be in, at in least the B, in the B two B space. I at mean, least ninety percent. Ninety. Sure. Wow. But okay. Sometimes to get there, uh-huh. it'll take years, uh-huh. and it'll take legal fees. Sure, and it's not that is not a direct route. There, you know, oftentimes there is no direct route to settlement, and sometimes it takes litigation to get people to settle because through litigation you have something called discovery, and that's where facts come out. It's where documents come out. It's where emails come out. It's where testimony comes out that can often inform the positions. Of um, of the parties and give them a sense of what they're looking at as far as the strengths and weaknesses of claims mm-hmm. or defenses. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as timing, I mean, it you know just to give people a sense, it's not like you pick up the phone, call the court, mm-hmm. and you know hey, I want to file a lawsuit, and like yeah. the lawsuit happens. No, yeah, it really begins by the filing of what's called a complaint, which mm-hmm. is a type of pleading mm-hmm. that initiates the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. And it's actually very important for statute of limitations purposes mm-hmm. because... Is um, it typically two years? So it depends on the cause of action. Okay. For In New Jersey, a breach of contract, I believe, can be six years. Okay. Uh, for, you know... Um, legal malpractice, it could be six years. I believe it's six years for personal injury, uh, negligence claim. Mm-hmm. I believe that's two years. I got it. Uh, so the and that's from the you know the date of injury or when you should have known about your injury. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where you know there are other doctrines like equitable tolling um, and like the discovery rule. Uh, so there are you know it's usually it's fixed and usually it is the death knell to a lawsuit but mm. as with anything in the law there there are exceptions okay. um but you start with the complaint you also have to serve that complaint you have to get a process server to uh deliver that um through a certain method uh and often that is in-person delivery mm-hmm. um to we call that service and service of process, and mm-hmm. it's really a due process requirement. Mm-hmm. But you know, if I file a lawsuit naming you, but I never serve you with the pleading, and you don't, you, there's no way for you to know that the lawsuit happened. Mm-hmm. That's unfair. To, to so, is that usually delivery in person, like from a person to a person, or can it be like I don't know FedEx? It, <laughs> it you know, it can, it can vary. So, like in certain parts of the New Jersey Superior Court, there's something called the special civil part, uh-huh. and that's for cases and controversies that are below a certain yeah. monetary threshold. 
Um, it used to the reason I'm asking because so many people or companies are kind of working from home, right? Like you, you know where the company is, but you don't know where they live. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and there are there are all sorts of you know rules and parts and issues that can come up. You know, yeah. sometimes people just litigate over service and service of process. Uh-huh. You know, before they even get to joining issue and getting into discovery and getting into the merits. Sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, and sometimes when the, when they do get served with it, they, they can attack the complaint for other reasons. But um, these are highly litigated issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're getting into rules where even if you don't serve the person uh, in person, mm-hmm. if you deliver it to someone who, you know, a responsible person in the household, mm-hmm. say like an adult or uh, maybe just a, repre- a designated representative, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sometimes good enough. It doesn't have to be, you know, Elon Musk personally. It can be, you know, mm-hmm. someone who's sitting at at the desk at, at Twitter headquarters for, okay. for all we know. Uh-huh. But there are also other things, you know. Um, if if you are suing a defendant whom you know has counsel, mm-hmm. you may ask the attorney directly, hey, will you accept service and service a process? Mm-hmm. We're going to make me hire a process server and go through all the hoops mm-hmm. to get this to your client who is aware that this lawsuit's happening anyway. Oh, by the way, here's a copy of the complaint. Mm-hmm. So um, there are ways to, you know, not do it through the kind of, I guess, the hard way or the default way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, that is kind of a big part. And and I guess the takeaway for, for the audience is there is a lot of procedure that can happen in civil litigation mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the actual merits or the substance, substance of the lawsuit. It can take a while even just to get to there. I see. And, and there's also, you know. So that's why, Francis, it makes sense to find a competent legal help. <laughs> right. And you, you want a good lawyer uh, for multiple reasons. But I mean, it depends on what side of the V you're on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're a plaintiff, you need you need a lawyer who's going to help you win your case and prevail on your claims. Mm-hmm. And depending on the nature of the lawsuit, the best lawyer for that can, can you know, can depend. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if you're defending, a, if you're you know named as a defendant in a case mm-hmm. and uh, you feel like the you know, hopefully you don't have exposure, but if the claims have merit or if there is, you know, a chance that you get hit with some liability and with some damages, it's an investment mm. to hire a top-notch firm and lawyer because of what's at stake. You sure. know, your interests are at stake. Mm-hmm. If the claims are pointed, if the theories can be backed up, mm-hmm. if the damages are substantial, mm-hmm. Um, it's better to pay a lawyer to help make the case go away mm-hmm. or settle it at uh, something that, you know, um, that can work than to not hire the right lawyer, maybe a, another lawyer who's just not, you know, well-versed in the area or um, who doesn't have the experience, regardless of what their rate is. Maybe it's lower, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, you do so at your own risk. Sure. Uh, depending on, you know, what what type of, uh, again, what type of exposure you're potentially looking at? Well, Francis, those are great points that you pointed out. And based on what you are saying, uh, going, you know, I don't think going through a trial is what uh, most people want to do. <laughs> yeah, no. And even if you get to that point, which can sometimes take a very, very long time. Okay, great. Well, that, now let's kind of, uh, now, let's kind of divert a little bit to 
there's some of the alternatives, right, that we have to, uh, to a full-blown lawsuit, right? And some of the most commonly known arbitrations or mediations, right? In fact, um, according to a uh, according to the, Amer- the the AAA, the American Arbitration Association, mm-hmm. and the ICDR, which is the International Center for Dispute Resolution, they have done a a, a data uh, collection based on the number of arbitration cases that were filed in 2022 compared to the year before, and there was a 12 percent increase in the number of arbitration cases being filed, and I think. That's an indication, right? That mo- many businesses are looking into this type of uh, alternatives to uh, a, a litigation. So, um, can you? And, and this is something that your firm also actively um, participate in, right? Yes. For yes. you know, in, in in terms of dispute. So, with it being a rising trend in the business dispute, can you talk to us about the advantages of these alternatives and what questions? the parties involved should be asking themselves if this is the option they want to choose. Yes, um, so this is the good news about litigation and, and lawyering and, and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've mentioned before, you know, um, that lawyers are not inexpensive by and large. Litigation is not inexpensive by and large. But mm-hmm. what can, um, ADR, as we call it, is a really attractive uh, alternative, and maybe sometimes it's the first choice. And ADR is uh, arbitration dispute uh, resolution. Uh, right? Alternate dispute resolution. Uh, alternate yeah. dispute. And, and sometimes it's sometimes it's a, a, a nice alternative. Sometimes it's it's the best option, and then sometimes it's the only option. Mm. Um, so so I'll, and I'll get into that, but it's great. It can often save the parties on um, legal fees mm-hmm. and uh, other costs. It can get them a result sooner than if they resorted to traditional vehicles of litigation, which is the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, so save them money, save them time. Save them money, save them time. And then the outcome is, you know, it, it's a matter of opinion, but usually the outcome's pretty good. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have uh, junior lawyers who act as arbitrators or mediators. Oftentimes it can be a retired judge, which uh-huh. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it could just be a very just good litigator mm-hmm. who, you know, maybe no longer practices litigation strictly, mm-hmm. but uses everything they know to be an excellent arbitrator on a panel. Mm. Um, so, you know, what is arbitration? What is mediation? It, it, it doesn't happen in the courthouse. Mm-hmm. You know, what, where it can happen is in an office or conference room somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you can have one mediator, maybe more. You can have one arbitrator or maybe more. Um, but uh, it, it... So it could be a panel of arbitrators. It can be. You wow. know, there, there are agreements out there where, you know, I've, I, I took a class back in law school on arbitration and our firm does do arbitration work. Sometimes it's one, but it depends on, you know, usually there's an agreement mm-hmm. um, that uh, really sets the contours of what arbitration is mm-hmm. and what it looks like. So if, if there's a an arbitration provision that governs a dispute between two parties, mm-hmm. it may have a mechanism that says, okay, you each get to pick your own arbitrator, mm-hmm. but then those arbitrators have to agree on a third arbitrator. Okay. And that's your panel. Okay. And it's like three to zero or two to one, or like the decision is what it is. Mm. But what's great about it is, is it's all, you know, it can be 
uh, subject to private decision making, mm-hmm. where let's say you and I are you know two business partners and in our you know agreement, whether it's a partnership agreement or operating agreement or or what other instrument you have, mm-hmm. we have a provision in there that says any and all disputes that arise under this agreement mm-hmm. uh, are subject to arbitration, and it'll be you know with such and such entity or organization, and you know the the parties bear their own costs as to arbitration or or what have you, but you know. Uh, sophisticated uh, individuals or entities can um, set the terms as as they so desire. Whether that's hey, you know, th- this automatically goes to arbitration, or you know, the parties will attempt to mediate in good faith first. Mm-hmm. You you know, you can kind of craft it however you want, or maybe how however your attorney you know recommends you to to draft it. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everyone automatically gets arbitration, right? If it is not derived from a uh, contractual enforceable right, mm-hmm. you need to voluntarily submit to uh, arbitration okay. or, or better yet, go to mediation. Right. So in other words, if um, if let's say you are doing business with you know a client or a vendor where you have some kind of contract or service agreement, right? Would, would it be a smart thing to do to include some type of arbitration clause in the in the contract itself? You think? Yeah, uh, I, I just think it just depends on the situation. Mm. Because again, even if arbitration is cheaper, it mm. doesn't make it free. Okay. And um, it, it just really depends on what the potential, I think, damages might be mm. in the event of a breach. Mm. Um, c- certainly, you know, it, in, a, in a kind of manufacturing distributorship supply chain, type of uh, dynamic mm-hmm. um, I, I think it just depends on kind of the price point you mm-hmm. know if it if you're shipping like a a, a, a giant MRI machine mm-hmm. as opposed to you know um, as opposed to r- wristbands or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it, it may you may want a more robust ADR provision mm-hmm. that controls how a dispute over this one giant really expensive piece of machinery, mm-hmm. you know, how it gets handled and delivered and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, taken care of. And mm-hmm. um, is everyone in the chain kind of doing what they're supposed to be doing? Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, not a lot of volume, mm-hmm. not a lot of money in sales, mm-hmm. it's just you may not want an arbitration provision in there because what if the other side initiates mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not free for everyone mm-hmm. and it's actually not worth it for you to be forced to go to arbitration and pay for it. I so I, I really think the price points will matter. Okay. But that's that's why you have to make an informed choice mm-hmm. when you consider whether to work in that type of provision or not mm. um, to, to make the decision. Now, the good news is, you know, there, there might be cases where you don't want a public lawsuit out there. Mm-hmm. You don't want your name in a caption. Mm-hmm. And that's why forcing everyone, requiring everyone to go to private arbitration might be really good for a PR marketing perspective um, because it kind of diverts things away from you know the public docket where uh, anyone who's just any member of the public will often be able to have just free access to the court docketing system and can search cases by docket number or party name and you don't want necessarily the press to get to that and, mm-hmm. and you know report on it and and just democratize it even more. Mm. Um, so retain. The, the privacy aspect yeah. of uh, your right your uh, 
dispute, I guess. So that any, you know, quote unquote, dirty laundry doesn't get aired, you <laughs> know, and exactly and, and just just so that, you know, keep, so you keep things kind of nice and quiet, which you may want. Oh. Um, but then there's also mediation where even if you don't contract and say we're required to go to arbitration, mm -hmm. the parties can either voluntarily agree to arbitrate and go to a p panel or go through AAA, mm -hmm. or they can say, you know what? I know a retired judge mm -hmm. who works in the area. Mm -hmm. uh, she is um, extremely experienced and competent in mm -hmm. uh, this field, mm -hmm. and I think she, you know, and uh, you know, she uh, reaches good results. She does it the right way. Mm -hmm. Why don't we instead of you know we keep litigating? Mm -hmm. Why don't we go to this this judge instead, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll see if we can get the case settled. Mm -hmm. um, it, it certainly will. I think everyone would be saving costs mm -hmm. compared to ongoing defense costs. Let's short circuit this. We're both open to, you know, potentially resolving it. We're both open to going to this mediator. Mm -hmm. We got nothing to lose. Right. And you can go and give it a shot. Hopefully the case settles. If it doesn't, maybe you, you know, the parties still learn something from mm -hmm. that process about mm -hmm. the case. Mm -hmm. And you go back to, to litigation. But Here's here's what's maybe not going to sell. The, I mean, if the attorneys and the parties can't sell it on their own terms, mm -hmm. sometimes you do need that third party neutral mm -hmm. to come in and uh, and bridge the gap mm -hmm. and and bring the case home. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean you know bring it to a settlement. Um, and you know, compared to uh, the accumulation of ongoing legal fees, it it can be you know a, a substantial cost savings to to everyone involved. Um, the other thing that that's good about it too is you know so even if the attorneys have the ability to settle a case on their own, sometimes it's still good to get in front of um, an arbitrator or mediator mm -hmm. who can kind of preside over you know the formation of the settlement, uh, preside over terms, um, preside over its execution and consummation mm -hmm. because I've seen it. I've seen cases where there is a settlement mm -hmm. and then the settlement blows up mm -hmm. and then there's a lawsuit to enforce the terms of the prior settlement. Oh, so it's like a lawsuit on top of a lawsuit. It, it is, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. Oh. It's a lawsuit that ends up settling that gives rise to a subsequent lawsuit, lawsuit. and it just can keep going. So you don't want a never ending cycle of lawsuits and settlements. Wow. So to uh, really put a stop to that, put an end to that, mm -hmm. get in front of a retired judge who uh, will take care of everything mm -hmm. and make sure the settlement is buttoned up mm -hmm. um, and you know that people perform under the settlement agreement. Mm -hmm. And if there's a problem, instead of filing a lawsuit to enforce an aspect of the settlement agreement, perhaps the parties can go back to the mediator mm -hmm. And say, you know, Your Honor, we, we, we have this problem, mm -hmm. and it can kind of be addressed again privately, quietly, and hopefully quickly and relatively cheaply. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, Francis, this has been a extremely informative hour. Good. I mean, oh, it's already it's, been an hour. Oh my gosh. It's been, <laughs> man, I wish we could go on, but like, we are limited with time. <laughs> <laughs> Time is precious for both of us, certainly. And, and, and absolutely. And we appreciate you so much for uh, being on the show today yeah. and share a lot of great insights on to navigate different, you know, legal issues that might arise in our business. Um, just to end it, right? Um, 
And this is a kind of question for the audience. Maybe, maybe if you're in a a law a law student right now, right, exploring some career opportunities in the in the in the area of helping other business, maybe a commercial law, right, working with other business owners, which kind of what you are doing right now, right, dealing with various businesses. Um, and if somebody you know, who's listening somehow ran into you at one of the nonprofit networking events or at the golf outing, whatever, and they wanted to, you know, get your advice, right, on, you know, how to pursue that career. You know, someone who has an aspiration to become an attorney in the, in the commercial space. Uh, what would you, what, what was one advice that you can share with them? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very good question. Um, I think, you know, some of my law school classmates did not, enroll in law school straight out of college. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were themselves business owners and uh, the law was you know, um, like a second career for them. So um, certainly if you have a background in business mm-hmm. um, or you, you yourself are a business owner and you're thinking about you know, the next phase of your career or you, know, you just uh, have always wanted to go to law school, or you think having the legal training or the JD might even help you as a business person, mm. certainly that type of person, I think, would be a great candidate for law school mm. because they're, they're going into you know, graduate school mm. to kind of um, develop a different way of looking at problems and mm. issues mm. that kind of can complement their, their business experience and, and training in that area. Um, I have to say that, you know, a judge I worked for Mm -hmm. has said it takes five years as a lawyer out of law school to figure out what it is you want to do. Interesting. So (laughs) even when you become a lawyer, even after law school and even when when you're already a lawyer. uh Yeah. So so I think it can be, you know, and and she's a very smart judge and I definitely respect her opinions. Mm -hmm. But um, that piece of advice leads me to believe you know, don't go to law school necessarily thinking I want to be this kind of lawyer. Mm-hmm. If you already know, great. You mm-hmm. know, don't don't let me stop you or dissuade you. Mm-hmm. But go into law school for the additional reasons. Mm-hmm. Go because a JD is a very versatile degree to have, and it can serve you well. That training and that background and and that frankly that piece of paper it can serve you really well. It's great for a resume, but it, again, it's the it's the way law school makes you think, mm-hmm. think like a lawyer, mm-hmm. and it's nice to have that lens. Um, but you don't have to necessarily, even when you get that and get admitted, and after you know um, passing the bar and getting admitted by your state bar, you don't have to go to a law firm mm-hmm. and be a litigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you do, which many people do, and it's it's a great career but you don't have to stay there, you know? You can go to public sector. Mm -hmm. You can go Mm in-house and be uh, in-house attorney or general counsel for a big corporation. Mm -hmm. Um, You can uh, be, you know, a different type of lawyer, like, you know, working for the ACLU or working for legal services, or, um, you know, maybe you're a career law clerk and you just work for a you know a judge in the New York uh, state court system for your career, or a federal judge uh, anywhere in, in the United States. Mm. You know they have lifetime clerks, um, which is you know many clerks do it for one, sometimes several years, and then just go into private practice or public sector or mm. just move on. Some people stay in mm-hmm. the court system, mm-hmm. um, and you know certainly people become judges, and mm-hmm. there are all different types of judges. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
special civil part, civil, family, uh, chancery, criminal judge, mm -hmm. being an appellate judge, being on the New Jersey Supreme Court, being a federal judge, uh, being a bankruptcy judge, being um, an agency judge, uh, being an arbitrator, being a mediator after mm -hmm. your judgeship. So I think just going to law school really can open up doors for you and it gives you, I think, some, you know, more options than I think people realize, mm. just having that training and having that degree. But uh, commercial litigation specifically is great because I think really no two cases are the same. Mm. And this is coming from someone who spent a, a number of years doing uh, really what's called insurance defense work, which is very prevalent. Um, and even, you know, insurance defense cases can come in different shapes and sizes. But by and large, you do see a lot of the same cases over and over again. There was a, a T-bone at an intersection or someone got rear-ended at a uh, stoplight mm -hmm. or a stop sign. Um, someone slipped and fell on the sidewalk, part of a, you know, outdoor commercial strip mall. Mm -hmm. You know, how, how many of those have I seen? Oh, you know, this snow removal vendor like is uh, did an incomplete job and is therefore negligent because they the shoveled, but they didn't salt, yeah, salt the road. Right, or yeah. vice versa, or like you <laughs> missed a spot, right? Yeah. And that's actually where the plaintiff fell and yeah. now the plaintiff's hurt. Uh -huh. So, you know, um, again, a lot of people do this work and some of these cases are very significant, very substantial. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, precedential opinions get written about um, certain issues that are in the context of these personal injury cases. And for a lot of people, personal injury personal injury is for them. Mm -hmm. If you're a plaintiff's lawyer and you're successful, probably making you know fair amount of money doing mm -hmm. personal injury work, mm -hmm. getting your you know one third or so contingency fee, mm -hmm. meaning you get a percentage of whatever gets recovered mm -hmm. uh, with you know with a verdict or with a settlement. Mm -hmm. But for me, you know, some of those cases I started to see uh, recurring issues recurring cases and it got to the point where I was like oh, I feel like I've seen this case before I felt like I've worked this case before I have mm -hmm. to make sure it's like not the same case mm -hmm. <laughs> but with commercial litigation commercial disputes mm -hmm. I I don't have that problem mm -hmm. you know, each case is very unique very complex and the scale of some of these cases um, distinguishes you know one one from the other um, e even within within my caseload mm -hmm. um, so I think if you like more problem solving mm -hmm. and more creative solutions, uh, that type of thinking may lend itself well mm -hmm. to commercial and business litigation, which is not to say you can't be creative in other contexts. Mm -hmm. I just think with commercial, um, just the nature of the disputes and the amount of controversy and kind of just like what the fact and legal issues are, mm -hmm. which are complex and mm -hmm. nuanced, mm -hmm. it can um, leave a lot of room for creative thinking. That's which great. is great because yeah. you know you this is a profession where you know you have to, your mind is like you're really your you're your biggest asset mm -hmm. and you have to use it to um i think be the best lawyer you can be and service your client base uh, to the best that you can uh francis that was a little bit a little bit different advice than i would uh i would expect but it's all good i think it gives a lot of insight on especially those people that have already spent a few years right in in the business world, maybe decades, right? And that want to take a little pivot, career pivot per se, right? Right. Uh, into the legal world. So I think that's amazing. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I was listening the whole time. I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe I should consider, huh? It's <laughs> <laughs> never too a late. A law degree. It's never too late. Yeah. You'd be a great lawyer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And truly appreciate your time today, Francis. And sh- tell us how people can connect with you. First of all, Eric, I just want to thank you so much mm. for thinking of me, for inviting me to be part of this uh, podcast and this program. Um, I had a real pleasure speaking with you. And um, I thought you asked some really terrific questions. And uh, I, I you know, I think some really hopefully good stuff came out uh, that'll be uh, useful and helpful uh, to your audience. Mm. And, you know, uh, just thanks again. And I, I really appreciate, you know, your time and and your preparation and, and your work and in making this interview, um, I think, just a great conversation, but also mm. a lot of fun for me also. Great. Um, and I think the best way for folks to uh, to get in touch, you know, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you just search uh, Francis Yook over LinkedIn, last name is Y-O-O-K, I think I should be the only result to come up. But if you have to narrow it down, um, please search uh, also by uh, maybe my law firm, Mm -hmm. which is Walsh Pitsy O'Reilly Falanga, uh, P-I-Z-Z-I. We're based in Newark. Um, We are, you know, a midsize uh, litigation and transactional firm. We're nearly full practice. I think everything except matrimonial and criminal um, and certainly, you know, very busy and active uh, litigation department, mm-hmm. uh, very active uh, employment and labor department, as well as uh, bankruptcy uh, practice and transactional work. Um, so, and, and you know, please reach out, whether you're a law student, a young attorney, uh, whether you're, you know, another lawyer, whether you're from Jersey or not, um, you know, please reach out if you ever have a question about anything, whether mm-hmm. it, it's something that was covered uh, on today's show or, or just anything else. And um, I'd be happy to, you know, I, I check my LinkedIn, you know, pretty regularly. I've got the app on my phone as well. So if you just send me a message or if you'd like to connect, you know, please don't hesitate. Man, Francis, you're giving us a lot, man, already. <laughs> so thank you. Appreciate you being here. And can't wait to have you come back to the show. I would love to be back, Eric. And, and you know, thanks again so much for the invite. It was a real pleasure. <laughs>